Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. The best run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. And if you follow how I introduce the shows, four welcomes means we have four guests today. So there, the buzz today, well, come on. It's December 9th, 2015. We're looking at the crystal ball everybody wants to predict. So let's get started. Hey, do you remember when Steve Jobs said... A lot of times people don't know what they want until you show it to them. I know. He was criticized. He was he was poked about it a lot. But guess what? It might have been an arrogant statement, but he was in many ways correct. Now let's focus on HR, HR leaders, HR professionals. You know there are problems in the workforce. But do you know what the future holds for how you're going to solve your HR challenges? Do you have any insight into the technologies and the strategic practices that'll finally, if it hasn't happened yet in your organization, finally earn HR a seat at the leadership table? And perhaps let's look even farther into the future than next year, 2016. 2020 is coming and we have something called Workforce 2020. How should you be preparing for that? We have a panel of four experts who are going to help us look ahead, take a peek into what the future may hold, and how you can help your HR organization get there with your sanity in check. So let's welcome first up Molly Lombardi. She's the co-founder and CEO of Aptitude Research Partners. Molly has sent me a wonderful quote. Actually, it's a quote from two sources. I don't know if she's aware of the second one. The quote is, pain don't hurt. Now, the first reference is that the late and great Patrick Swayze pronounced these words in the movie Roadhouse, a 1989 American action thriller film. He was James Dalton, a cooler. That's a doorman or a bouncer, for those of you who didn't look it up like I did. And the words were, pain don't hurt. But it also happens to be the title of a no-holds-barred memoir from the only professional fighter in history who went back to the ring after open-heart surgery. It was kickboxer Mark Fightshark Miller. What can I tell you? Molly Lombardi, you didn't know I was going to dig that deep into the quote. How are you, Molly? I'm great. That's fantastic. I love both sources. That's Good. Great. So talk to me. I'm starting out with somebody who's talking about pain. We're talking about the future, and all of a sudden we're talking about pain. And who is it? Is it or is it not hurting? So, Molly, you have to tell me, how did you pick that quote for today's show? Sure. You know, we were talking about change, and I really believe whether it's personally or organizationally, you know, we tend not to change unless it hurts not to. <laughs> Even if that pain is only you see something so much better than what you have today that you just can't stand not having it. Uh, sort of to go back to the Steve Jobs quote, even if you didn't know something hurt when you see something so much better, uh, you know, there's there's suddenly impetus for change, and that's when you know pain can be good, right? It can cause us growth. But from an organizational perspective. 
How do you dial up the pain just enough that you get the change you want, but then be able to mitigate the fear and uncertainty that comes with that so that you get lasting change? And so when we started to think about change, um, you know, first of all, any excuse to talk about Patrick Swayze and the movie Roadhouse. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, this is a phrase that comes to mind when I think about uh, change and, you know, how do we, you know, use use the pain uh, and the sort of sticky situations we have to our advantage and really be able to use them to, to create lasting changes in our organizations. And do, Molly, do you foresee a lot of pain coming up next year for HR leaders who are trying to get that seat, damn it, at the leadership table where maybe they're saying, wait a minute, there's room for one more chair. Move over, guys and gals. We're going to sit there. Is that going to be painful? I think the pain is probably already here. Um, you know, I think a lot of organizations, and it may not just be HR as organizations, you know, we are still facing, you know, economic issues. We're still facing engagement issues. We're still facing, you know, turnover and hiring issues. I think it's really a matter of sort of harnessing it and being able to use it to our advantage. And again, you know, sort of seeking out to, to get rid of that pain and, and uh, that uh, fear and uncertainty and really, you know, get to the, get to the good as opposed to just sort of wallowing in the, in the fear and uncertainty. Thank you. And I must tell you one more reference. I know you probably know this already, but Patrick Swayze was People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive in 1991. Did you know that, Molly? I knew he'd been on there at least once, but it seems it makes me feel old to know that it was that long ago. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Young at heart. And we lost him all too soon. He passed away at age 57. And what a loss. So we'll have to dream about somebody else. Let's bring on our second panelist. She is Sharon Newton, Managing Partner at High Precision. That's lowercase H-Y-P-E-R, capital C, lowercase I-S-I-O-N, High Precision. And Sharon has sent me a very interesting quote from Roy Charles Amara, who passed away in 2007. He was a researcher, a scientist, and perhaps most interesting for this conversation, past president of the Institute for the Future. And the quote I'm about to read is also, I don't know if you're aware of this, Sharon, paraphrased by Robert X. Cringely, and this is actually known as Amara's Law. And the quote is, we tend to overestimate the effect of a technology in the short run and undermate underestimate the effect of the technology in the long run. So, Sharon Newton, it's been a while. How are you? I am fine. Thank you, Bonnie. How are you? I'm great. Welcome back. Nice to hear your voice. So tell me, I've never heard of Roy Amara until you introduced me to this quote. How did you come to pick him for the person you were citing in our opening today? You know, I actually saw the quote. A friend of mine posted it on Facebook. You know, you can update your quotes in your profile. Well, Mm -hmm. she posted it out there, and I saw it maybe about a year or so ago, and it really spoke to me. Um, From a consulting perspective, as we talk to customers, as they're migrating to new technologies, this is something that, that we encounter all of the time. You know, this is cloud technology, for example, is coming. It's going to impact everybody, and then it doesn't. But eventually, Mm. it really does, and it becomes ubiquitous. Um, another great example, I think, is wearables. We all saw Google Glass. I don't know how long ago it came out, four or five mm-hmm. years ago. I'm aging myself probably. But it was supposed to be the next big thing, and everybody was going to walk around with glasses on. Well, yep. it's faded. I think they've actually taken it off the market now, and they're revamping it. But they're revamping it so that it's really going to have some impact within hospital environments. So I would expect that within a few years we will see that from a wearable perspective. But if we look around, um, just about everybody is wearing a Fitbit or a Jawbone. So while Google Glass may not have been the thing that was going to hit everybody, wearable technology, it's everywhere. And it's becoming part of um, 
something that organizations and businesses are using to help um, help their employees manage wellness and um, encourage collaboration, teaming, things like that. So it's becoming more and more part of the business world as well as something that we just see out every day on the street. Um, very I think interesting. When I, when I yep. saw that, oops, oh, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. I'm, I'm commenting. Okay. Very interesting. Go say, ahead. When I, when I saw that quote, it made me think of Elliot Maisie, too. And I don't know if any of you have ever been to any of his panels or, or sessions, but he always brings in the most interesting, cutting-edge technology and starts talking about how it's going to relate to learning. And most of the time I'm sitting there going, eh, I don't really see that. I can't really see a maker bot being used in, you know, a corporate office or uh, a drone out there really helping people learn. But a lot of times he's, he's right on target. And at the very least, what he does help you do is start thinking about how technology can be used outside of the box and may really become part of that every day. Sharon, spell the last name of the person you just quoted. Elia, what was his last name? Oh, Maisie, M-A-S-I-E. N-A-I-S-I-E. All right, I want to look. M-A-S-I-E, Maisie. Okay, yes. I've got it. Producer, author, and learning technology expert produced. The, oh, he produced Kinky Boots and Godspell. Is that the same one? Oh, yes, he does all kinds of things. Wow. <laughs> wow, and he has a great bio picture, too. He's got one of those Steve Jobs kind of black turtlenecks, and his hand is up under it. Thank you for the reference. Appreciate that. And welcome back again. And let me turn to our third panelist. She is Mary Poppen, and I'm going to spell that, P-O-P-P-E-N. She is the Global Head of Innovation Enablement for SAP Success Factors. And Mary has sent us a wonderful quote. It's a classic from Peter Drucker. Interesting, most of the people quoted here passed away within two or three years of each other. Very strange. Uh, Peter Ferdinand Drucker was an Austrian-born American management consultant, educator, and author. He earned the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and he's the author of Business Planning for an Uncertain Future, Scenarios and Strategies. Here's the quote. The best way to predict the future is to create it. I want to say amen. Mary Poppin, welcome. How are you? I am fantastic, Bonnie. Thanks so much. I uh, actually am still thinking about Patrick Swayze, though, um, <laughs> and the movie Ghost, but, uh, and several others. So thanks for that, Molly, because now he's going to probably be my head all day. Oh, dear. Molly, look what you did to us. Anyway, yes, we're still very impressionable regardless of how long we've been around. I feel the same way, Mary. So, Mary, interesting quote. Uh, is Drucker one of your favorite people to quote? And by the way, there is a handle on Twitter and it's at Druckerisms or Druckerism. I don't know if it has an S or not, but I pulled it up earlier when I was telling people what you were going to quote today. So he is very quotable. Talk to me. Is he one of your favorites? He absolutely is. I spent a lot of time uh, looking over his work um, in graduate school, so I spent a lot of time on his philosophies applied to business. But um, not surprising to those of you that do follow him and his philosophies, they actually apply to your personal life, too, in many ways. And so I think about this quote, it, it always has struck me as, you know, we're, we're not helpless. We create our futures, we create our paths, and we don't have to let things happen to us. If you want something, go after it um, to really fulfill your life and what you do. You, know, you don't have to sit back and wait. Go create it. Um, and evolve over and over again. And I think this applies to both individuals as well as businesses. So it's, it's always been one of my favorites. And do you, is this one of your things you live by? Is this one of your mantras for the way you have handled your own career, Mary? I'm just uh, wondering. 
It absolutely is, yeah. I've never sat back to say, gee, I wish I could do that. Instead, Mm -hmm. I say, hey, I'd like to do this, and here's what it looks like. Um, I'm I'm with you. Now, can we turn that into your advice to HR leaders who have not yet pushed aside the chairs at the C-suite table and made their place at that table? Would you say to them, don't predict that in 2016 or 2018 you're going to be part of that business decision-making body, just go do it, create it? Is that something you would, a message you would like to send to HR leaders right now? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was well said, Bonnie. I think uh, HR has so much information and so many great ideas at their fingertips, and so often it is not shared and it doesn't come to the table. And things like the predictive insights that that can come from HR and really turn and drive the business should be at that seat at the table. That will transform the organizations. And I think once the CEOs and other leaders recognize that HR is not about compliance and just driving some of the tactical day-to-day execution of the strategies. It's actually the people strategy that helps transform and drive the business. It will be a a much more different world than we live in today. Thank you very much, and Mary, pleasure to meet you. And now I'd like to introduce our fourth panelist. Well, you all know who she is. It's Sherry Ann Meyer. She's the sponsor, along with ASUG and SAP of this series. And Sherry Ann has sent me a wonderful quote. Sherry Ann, usually it's a movie. You've quoted A League of Their Own. You've quoted The Wizard of Oz. You've, I think, quoted Alice in Wonderland. You've quoted uh, Kate and Leopold and all kinds of interesting quotes. But today you're quoting Shel Silverstein. And let me give a little background. Sheldon Allen S-H-E-L, Shel Silverstein, who passed away in 1999, was an American poet, singer-songwriter, cartoonist, screenwriter, talk about making your own future, and author of children's books, and he called himself Uncle Shelby sometimes. And a little side note, I don't know if you all know, but he wrote the lyrics to the song A Boy Named Sue, which was a huge hit by Johnny Cash, and he also wrote Loretta Lynn's Ones on the Way. He wrote the children's books The Giving Tree, Where the Sidewalk Ends, and the poetry collection A Light in the Attic. And let me read the entire quote. It is, listen to the mustn'ts, child, listen to the don'ts. Listen to the shouldn'ts, the impossibles, the won'ts. Listen to the never-haves, then listen close to me. Anything can happen, child. Anything can be. Oh, Sherry Ann, that's beautiful. I'm in tears. I'm absolutely in tears. I I always loved reading him to my kids and my nephews and nieces. And I I think uh, when I used to read his stuff when I was reading him to kids, I used to think, now, wait a minute, this is a lesson for me, not the kid. I think so, and now you're reading it to me, and now you've got me crying. I can't cry and host the radio show, so nothing, nothing so weepy for me next time. Sherry Ann, I'm delighted to have you back, and you've obviously assembled a very smart and savvy panel of co-panelists to join you today. So talk to me. How does this relate to our topic about HR leaders empowering themselves, about looking forward to Workforce 2020, about what should they be doing in 2016? Let's talk about the near term. What, what's the message here through the voice of Shel Silverstein? I think in most organizations, HR is kind of scared to make a move. They're so caught up in doing compliance and keeping the lawyers away. Now, there's a bit of fear about making a mistake. They're probably one of the more cautious organizations, perhaps even in a startup. And so I find this very inspiring for myself and for them to listen to this quote and not be so taken down by people that said, well, we tried that. We can't do that. Or, you know what, you can't do that because 
find a way to do it. Be resourceful. And sometimes I think you have to step outside the box and be a little bit courageous. I think that's what's going to make a stellar HR organization. Do you think HR is ready for this, Sherry Ann? Do you think that, especially if they've been listening, by the way, this is episode number 13 in your series, so this is our season ender for game-changing HR leaders. That's why this is such an important topic, and we are talking about do you want change? Have you got resolutions as we go into 2016? Very important perspective opportunity here from you and our panelists. Do you think HR gets this? Not not the new people coming in, but the people who have been around for years, the ones who are holding, holding that chair or keeping that desk warm. And they are into compliance, Sherry Ann, and they do their jobs, but that's all they do. Do you think they have the vision and the, the chutzpah to move in a new direction? I don't want, I don't know if I can speak for all of them, but I would say most traditional organizations don't encourage risk taking at any mm-hmm. level of their organization, um, and especially not in HR. And no, I don't think they're ready for it. Um, I think they're very cautious. Um, and I think sometimes when they are being innovative, they don't know how to make their case to the finance officer or the CEO as to why they should take this risk and make this change. So it's, a lot of what we've been talking about all season long, Bonnie, has been about making this change and taking risks yes. and being the gambler. And how do you get a seat at that table and why is it important that you have a seat at that table? And this all resonates back to everything we've talked about all season, I think. I, th- I think you're right. And since this is a new panel for us, I-, I think Sharon Newton has been on. I know she's been on with me before, maybe not on the series. But let me just circle back to first Molly Lombardi, then Sharon Newton, and then Mary Poppin. Do you agree with Sherry Ann? I think this is very important to get your POVs out here about whether HR is ready for this message. Molly Lombardi, what do you see? Yeah, I think, you know, it's a personal choice in some ways from a leadership perspective. Am I going to step up? Um, So it's hard to generalize for all of HR. But I think one question to ask yourself is, you know, to know whether you're part of the problem or part of the solution, if you will, Mm -hmm. is to say, you know, am I helping the business or am I going around asking how can I help? You know, think about people in your life. There's, you know, sometimes there's people that walk around saying, how can I help, how can I help, but they don't actually get much done. And then there's people who jump in and get things done. And I think if you ask yourself, you know, which one of those am I, you know, I think if you find that you're asking how you can help versus jumping in, you may not be um, taking as much risk or, or leadership as the, the opportunity might afford you. Um, and really think for yourself, how can I help actually help get something done as opposed to waiting and asking, you know, what, what could be done. Thank you very much. Sharon Newton, what's your perspective, please? Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, HR is so ready to step up at this point. I've been consulting for almost 20 years now, and my focus has always been learning um, or training, as it was back in the day. And the transformation from sitting down and trying to help organizations determine how they're going to make sure everybody's compliant, manufacturing things appropriately and safely, to how they're going to grow the best team to help move their organization forward is just amazing in the last 20 years. Um, I think almost every organization I work with now has a CHRO or a CLO, depending on what I'm, what I'm focusing on. And um, they're, really, they're really there and helping guide and drive the business and support that strategic transformation. And I'm seeing it across all industries. I mean, not just the newer businesses, newer technologies, but organizations that have been around for a long time. And even, I think, 
four or five, six years ago, I remember talking to someone at SAP about their new cloud solution for performance management and thinking, that's just never going to go. I was at a utility company at the time. And today, they're using cloud, remote, performance management, ongoing feedback solutions. So I'm seeing it on a day-to-day basis as I work with customers and organizations. Thank you. Good to know. Mary Poppin, love to have your perspective, too. Join us, please. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I do think there, in many cases, there is a readiness for the message. I think many want it. It's the how to get there. That's the, the unknown, right? How do they get started? How do they turn the ship? And it takes, you know, one person to start to take action, um, speak out, make change. But I think in many cases, people, people want to do it. They just don't know where to start. So for those of us on the line and, and others listening out there, I think what we need to do is shift from, you know, should we go here to how do we get there? If we start to do that together, I think we'll start to see some more movement. I like that. Thank you. And guess what, Sherry Ann, we already got you. You're the one who started this. So let me circle back to Molly Lombardi. <laughs> Molly, it's holiday time. I'd love to know either what you're drinking right now during the show or what your favorite holiday drink will be this season. Well, I think my favorite holiday drink is going to be the Cranapple Juice Box I get to share with my nephew uh, tomorrow morning when I'm leaving tonight to go visit him for his third birthday. So I think that's going to be a pretty good holiday drink this year. I love that you have a favorite flavor of the juice box, Molly. He seems to be fond of things with cranberries. I think that's uh, on the Ooh, menu. That's, that's very good. That's very grown up for a three-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. He has a lot of lot of sea breezes in his future. I have a feeling when he discovers the things you can put in cranberry juice. There you go, we can only Sharon. <laughs> Sharon Newton, what are you drinking this holiday season? This holiday season, eggnog and glühwein. Uh, both of those are our favorites. But I have to say, we've hit fifty-four degrees today, so I'm not expecting to enjoy my hot mulled wine anytime soon. I think we're going to have warm weather all through the weekend. So. Uh, Maybe it'll be iced tea instead. It might be. Where are you calling from today? Where Where is it so warm? Tell me. Chicago. December. Oh. Chicago. And <laughs> I, I know. I'm in New York on Long Island. It's not sunny like they predicted. They said it's going to be really warm. I'm guessing it's probably in the low 60s today, which is pretty darn good for December yeah. 9th. So I, I agree with you. Cool drinks. Mary Poppin, where are you calling from and what's in your cup or what are you planning for holiday beverages? Well, I'm in Minnesota, and I would normally say Minnesota, but our snow that did come is actually melting. Um, my favorite drink around the holidays is is a peppermint mocha, although I do have to share that um, my favorite drink in general and today um, is a McDonald's Fountain Diet Coke. I proclaim the best pop or soda, however you want to say it, um, out there, so I get laughed at by friends and and family, but um, I think it does taste better than any other Diet Coke out there. So if you haven't tried it, you should. Very interesting. Thank you. And by the way, it is officially 51 degrees here, so I'm kind of half between warm drinks and cool drinks. Sherry Ann Meyer, where are you? Are you in your home base today, and what are you drinking? Or what's coming up the holiday holiday table for the uh, Sherry Ann Meyer family? What are you going to be drinking? Well, it's not for the whole family, let's be clear. I found peppermint Kahlua. <laughs> oh, dear. It's equally good. You guys are going to love this. It's equally good in hot chocolate or over ice with a little cream in it. So, Ooh. you know, it doesn't matter what the weather is. Peppermint Sounds- Kahlua. Peppermint Kahlua. Is, is that commercially available? Do you have a favorite brand or is this homemade? Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't know what the brand is, but, 
Yeah, I walked into the liquor store on Thanksgiving weekend to get, you know, right before Thanksgiving to get wine for everyone else. And that was, you know, positioned right in the first aisle. And I was like, oh, and we'll take one of these. <laughs> um, I, and you know what? There's a hostthetoast.com has a peppermint mocha white Russian martini. Host the Toast. And there are uh, all kinds of websites. Just look for Best Kahlua Peppermint Mocha Liqueur Recipe, 10 Best Kahlua Peppermint Recipes, The Kahlua Bomb. Wow. MixThatDrink.com. Yeah, there's a lot of things you can do with it. But what I love is, you know, so easy. Over ice, with some cream, throw it in the I hot ag- chocolate. I'm, I'm going to head to the store and get the, the heavy cream as soon as I'm done here. Thank you very much. <laughs> Guess what? As Sherry Ann knows, they don't let Bonnie have caffeinated beverages on radio show days, and today is a doubleheader show. So it's just cool, clear water, but I'm drinking with a green straw. So I'm thinking about prosperity and money for 2016 and beyond. There you go. We're having a good time, but we're talking about a very serious topic today. Entering 2016, got resolutions, want change. We're addressing anybody who is involved with a HR leadership, anybody who wants to think about what their HR leaders are doing. So I think that includes a lot of people around the world. My very special guests today are Molly Lombardi, co-founder and CEO of Aptitude Research Partners. We also have Sharon Newton, managing partner at Hypercision. We have Mary Poppin, global head of innovation enablement for SAP Success Factors. And of course, my good friend, Sherry Ann Meyer, the, the, the expert. We got to put that all in cap, Sherry Ann. The expert for human resources, business processes, and technology at America's SAP Users Group, otherwise known as ASUGASUG. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a very quick break. And when we come back, Molly Lombardi and I are going to cook up a good way to start our roundtable, although I think we've already started it very well. So don't even think of touching that map. That app, that dial, Justin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The world of work is changing faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly human resources can adapt and lead through accelerated, ongoing change. A corporate culture that embraces differences and innovation is among the top winning strategies for business success. How can human resources shape such a culture in their organizations? One that is moving forward in step with business development, acquisitions, mergers, digitally demanding employees and customers, and changing workforce dynamics. Join our experts as they share game-changing ideas and strategies for leading business success through the next millennium. Game-Changing HR Leaders is presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group's Recharge HR. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP, America's SAP Users Group's Recharge HR. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing HR Leaders. 
here we are, and we're back with Molly Lombardi, Sharon Newton, Mary Poppin, and Sherry Ann Meyer. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be for the rest of the hour. Today's buzz is the crystal ball. We're looking ahead to 2016. OMG, let's see now. It's the 9th of December. December is 31 days, and then it's 2016. Do the math. It just scares me. So we're talking about what's happening to HR, what leaders need to know and think about for next year and beyond. We're going to start our roundtable right now with Molly Lombardi at Aptitude Research Partners. Molly sent me the following comments in her notes, and I think it's a great place to start. Molly says, the owner of the employee relationship is changing, especially in industries like retail, service, hospitality, manufacturing, and even professional services like graphics or web design. That kind of covers a lot of territory. Molly, why don't you explain this for us, and then we'll invite your colleagues on the panel to chime in with their own thoughts. Go ahead, Molly. Yeah, I think it's really an interesting trend we're starting to see, which is, you know, you think about things like Uber, you think about, um, you know, websites that can connect you with professionals, you know, to do things like graphic or web design. This idea of one employer sort of being your source for not only employment and income, but also, you know, benefits and, and things like that, is starting to change. People are, uh, you know, having a relationship with more of a scheduling service. Um, they're having a relationship with sort of an intermediary as opposed to the person that they're actually um, you're completing the work for. And I think this has a lot of interesting implications for us, you know, sort of as a society, but from a technology point of view, how can we use the technology to help organizations tap into this desire to have more flexibility, to have different kind of relationship with work. Um, I recently saw uh, a gentleman from Macy's talking about they've really revamped how they're doing scheduling. They put out a schedule that has all the available shifts and people are able to self-select into the shifts that they uh, want to work and it's actually reduced absenteeism uh, because people are able to sign up for work that's convenient for them. They've still been able to fill all their shifts and people are happier and more engaged because they feel like they have some flexibility. So this idea of sort of who owns and directs the employee-employer relationship is really starting to shift, and I think that's going to be a trend we continue to see organizations tapping into to take advantage of, but also needing to have the right tools in place to be able to do so. Thank you. Very optimistic. Sharon Newton, what are your thoughts on this, please? Yeah, I would I would have to agree there. I think I actually sent you a statement that was somewhat similar, talking about being in the age of a gig economy. And it's funny because this morning over my coffee, I was reading uh, LinkedIn, and one of my friends uh, was quoted in an ink an ink article talking about the gig economy as well. So I felt like I sort of plagiarized, but I, I wrote it before I saw the article. So I mean I think all all signs are pointing to the fact that employees are valuing the their ability to be more flexible, to determine how they're going to grow personally, um, what they want to do to develop themselves and how they want to own and use their own personal time. Um, and I think employers are also seeing that benefit because you can quickly scale up. You can find the right kinds of resources, uh, the right kinds of skill sets that you need quickly, um, bring them into a team, accomplish what you need to accomplish, and then everybody can move on with something that's been achieved and and continue to grow in the areas that they're interested in. Um, I think one of the things, too, that we're seeing is with uh, the ability for folks to get health care much more easily and the expectation that it will continue to stay that way. You know, having health insurance was one of the things that really kept employees tied to their companies. You needed to make sure that you could have that coverage. And now you can really get that out there on the open market. So that's also leading towards it. And then also just the fact that we can communicate remotely. You know, I can have a conference call with someone in India. I can have a 
team with somebody in Germany and in Belgium, and in fact, that's something that we do within our organization today, just from all over the world, and achieve and, and complete projects using collaboration tools, uh, video tools, things like that. It, it's just all signs are pointing in that direction. Thank you. Mary Poppin, your thoughts, please? Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with everything that Molly and Sharon said. I think it, it's really interesting time for the employee to be in charge of themselves and their own career and predict their future, right, um, by creating it, which, which ultimately leaves HR in a position to have to adjust to the tools and the um, approaches and the programs that are in place. And one of the key challenges, I think, has been historically with contingent workers, which only continu- continues to grow, is that visibility, who are they? What have they produced? Would you rehire them? Um, mm. I think all too often, you know, that information is missing, and so we lose a lot of productivity and time, um, as well as probably make some poor organizational and uh, rehire decisions without that type of um, tool set. And as this grows, having the systems, the reporting, the analytics, and the predictive mm. analytics to go along with, with this shift is really going to be critical. I think the other important piece to consider is compensation and succession. Succession in this day and age is much more challenging when you have workers coming and going, and how do you incent them to stay? How do you reward them, right? I think that's another key transformation as, uh, as our workforce shifts. Mary, are we seeing more mobility, more self-imposed mobility where people are, you know, it used to be, and Sherry Ann may remember this, I don't know if anybody else does on the panel, We uh, the, the song Tennessee Ernie Ford saying, um, 16 tons and what do you get another day deeper and deeper in debt? I owe my soul to the company <laughs> store. He was a miner, I guess. And, and you stayed in your job forever. And then we saw that people could have some flexibility and nobody really raised an eyebrow. Oh, you've only been there five years. Oh, you've only been there four years. Oh, you've only been there two years. Why were you only there one year? How much flexibility and mobility will, will this empowerment give people, Mary? What do you think? Yeah, I think we've already seen the shift even in the interviewing process. It's not um, as eye-raising as it used to be when people moved around, uh, you know, two or three times in a year or two. Um, oh. it, it's almost become more of the norm uh, with what you're looking at. And people have the flexibility because organizations are looking for top talent, and we do have this war for talent going on. People, the employee is really in the driver's seat, and they can choose where they want to go, and they want to make an impact, and they want to have meaningful work, and they want you know work-life integration um, and that flexibility. And um, they really have the opportunity to, to self-select and, and go where they want, and they don't worry about being asked, why were you only here you know, two years, three years. In fact, when, when I say 10 years plus, um, you know, in, in my organization, I get a lot of looks today like, wow, why are you, you know, there so long? <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> right, it's shifting. Didn't you want to go anywhere else? <laughs> Sherry Ann, love to get your thoughts on this. We were covering a little bit of broader topic than we started with, uh, with Molly, but I want to know, what do you think, Sherry Ann? I, I absolutely love these women and love their discussion points. And I think everything they're saying is what I've been noticing with my own children, that they do have more flexibility. There is ability to create your own career much more easily. Um, and all the things that we're talking about, about people wanting meaningful work, and all those things are piling up to being that HR has to operate differently and be a different kind of organization. 
Um, they're going to be managing workers of all kinds. They're going to be having people coming in and out all the time. It's not going to be the same game. They really are going to be managers instead of administrators of policies and processes, I think. Um, Their skill set is not going to be ending when they get out of college and what they've learned in college. And I, I know they've always been continual learners, but the ability to keep up with technology and what's happening in the workplace and in the business place um, is going to be absolutely imperative to them in addition to the other things we talked about, like having access to the right analytics and being able to use those to predict the future. So um, lots of changes ahead, I would say, in the next five years for HR that they have to catch up with. Thank you. I'm going to circle back to Sharon Newton. Sharon, let's look at one of your key topics you sent me before the show. Wellness is a very big word for you in 2016. You say companies cannot afford to not invest in their employees' health. But what's interesting to me, Sharon, is you add physical to mental to emotional. Maybe spiritual is in there somewhere. So why don't you briefly tell us how this should be on the radar for HR leaders for next year. Sharon? Yeah, sure. So we've talked a little bit about how do you find the right employees and how do you engage um, and find the right talent that's going to help your organization. How do you keep people, how do you retain employees and help them grow with your organization um, from a strategic and a succession perspective? And wellness is something that everybody's paying attention to. It's in the news right now all over the place. You know, we know that we need eight hours of sleep. We know that we need to drink water. We know that we need to stand up and walk at our desks. And these are things that employers are starting to address more and more. And employees see those as a huge benefit to themselves. Um, they see their, their organization is taking care of them. Their organization is placing value in their health. Um, and I mentioned during my opening quote to the wearables, one of the things mm-hmm. I'm starting to see more and more are companies that are really promoting wellness by having competitions, gamification, things like that, get, to get their employees collaborating outside of just the project level. But in terms of, you know, how, how their wellness is working, one of my customers actually um, has a walking group, and they meet up every day, I think at 4 in the morning, which is way too early for oh. me, and they go oh. walking. And then they check all of their steps every day throughout the day, and they have a competitive game board that they're leveraging through, I think, Virgin Pulse, which was just amazing to see. And the whole company's involved in it. Um, I've got another organization. We would have our requirements meetings, our process mapping meetings, and they would all get up at lunch with their pedometers and walk around the uh, plant site just to encourage each other and work together. So employees see that benefit, and um, organizations are definitely investing more and more in that. Wow, very interesting. So the the peer pressure a little bit and the the group mentality, the group psychology, and wow, the Mm -hmm. power of the group. Mary Poppin, uh, talk to me about the idea of wellness. What have you experienced through your work at Success Factors? So I I love it, and I think we don't focus on this enough um, in terms of the employee engagement level um, and also the, the culture of the organization being, you know, wellness driving a key part of um, that energy and that productivity. Um, but I think what's interesting is a lot of organizations say wellness is important, but what have they done about it, right? A lot of their processes and programs haven't really shifted to allow employees to take advantage of wellness opportunities. So, you know, flexible work schedule, does that exist? Um, so they can hit the gym before work. Savings on club memberships, as another example. 
built-in workout rooms. You know, there's some organizations that are taking the time to actually find a place within their um, facility where they can bring in treadmills and they can offer yoga classes. I have a friend whose company just started um, a yoga class after work, and she said she has never, never felt better. She doesn't feel guilty leaving home. It's right after work. It's right before she heads home. You know, it's that kind of stuff that we need we need to shift and do more of. And I think companies can't just say it. They need to actually execute on it. Wow. Sherry Ann, your thoughts? I, I'm just so fascinated with everything everyone's saying. This wellness topic has been around for a long time, but it really seems to be taking seriously right now. I love the idea that a company will do something as simple as walking because most companies will say, I don't have the money to do that. That's not a priority. And I worked in an organization who many years ago built an on-site fitness center and had an on-site, outside the facility, but on, on property, um, jogging track, running track, and field house to go into and shower. And those things cost money. And I think they mm-hmm. se- seem to become just accepted over time. But when things don't go so well, those are the last things that people start paying attention to in the organization. And they Interestingly enough, it's not just the corporation that stops paying attention to funding those things or encouraging participation in those things, but employees stop participating in it because, I guess, because the stress level rises. And there's nothing as important as your health or your employees' health. To have happy, healthy workers makes your organization more productive. And in today's environment, what I see with younger people that um, companies must be recruiting that ability to have time for themselves to exercise, to walk, to just have that social interaction in a fitness mm-hmm. environment is really important. Sherry Ann, we are such a distributed, globally ensconced and separated workforce. How do you do it when you have people who are all working remotely, virtually? They never see anybody. It's all on the phone. It's all talking heads like we're doing. We're all in different cities. How, how do you bring that camaraderie and that shared purpose of exercise if you can't go for that walk together or get on the treadmill together? What are you, what are you experiencing? Well, it's even more important then. And I have mm-hmm. seen organizations do things like tracking footsteps, um, like Sharon was talking about, but virtually. So everyone does their own mm. thing. They form their own walking teams. And virtually, through collaboration on a social tool or just in emails, they share their scores. Um, I've seen weight loss challenges go the same way. I've even seen the men's movement, the, the M- Movember, where they grow their beards. They shave at the beginning <laughs> of the month and they grow their beards. I've seen that done virtually as well, too. We, with technology gives us so many opportunities to interact if you'll only take advantage of them and use them effectively. Um, And I think I still see many organizations that really don't take advantage of those tools. Yep, you've got to have somebody start. Yes, please, who's that? I was going to say, this is Sharon. I wanted to just jump in really quickly and say I see a lot of this is very similar to what you see when you're trying to implement a collaboration solution for an organization. You really, from from a wellness perspective, your employees have to opt in. It has to be something that's voluntary. You can't make everybody join a walking program. But if you have a champion, if you have a specific project that's fun, that's getting people involved, Mm -hmm. that's how you're going to build that enthusiasm. And it's the same sort of thing you see with social collaboration. You know, you can put a social collaboration tool out there like SAP Jam, but if you don't have something that's compelling people to use it, it's not going to get used. Um, so I, I see a lot of similarities between those two types of solutions. 
Good, good points. Molly Lombardi, I haven't forgotten you. We want to get you in on this. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I couldn't agree more with what everyone is saying. Wellness is a huge topic. And I would just sort of venture to layer one other piece in there that we're seeing is financial wellness. Uh, we all know mm-hmm. finances are a huge cause of stress, uh, cause of breakups of marriages, you know, lots of um, difficulty. And so we're seeing this idea of financial wellness, helping pro- um, you know, employers providing services that can help people manage their money, make better decisions. Should I take a you know loan for my car or lease it? You know, these decisions that we not, are not necessarily trained how to make, uh, growing up or in school, but that can cause a lot of stress and distraction at work. So we're seeing this idea of not only physical and emotional wellness, but also the financial part of that, which can contribute um, so so mightily to uh, you know, to that stress and to that mental uh, distraction as well. I love it. Great point. Thank you for adding that. And now I'm going to turn quickly to Mary Poppin. And Mary, I'm scrolling down quickly to your notes here and something I don't think we've covered yet. Let's talk about it very quickly. Diversity in the workplace should represent the unique contribution of each and every employee instead of or at least in addition to the characteristic makeup of the workforce. I think this is a new definition for many of us. Mary, can you elaborate, please? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, all too often we talk about diversity and diversity programs and diversity focus, and I think in the mindset of many people, it's how do you have a global workforce or have representation from, you know, all across um, the characteristic groups and all across the countries to create, you know, greater synergies in um, brainstorming and creativity um, and that's all, you know, that, that, that's all great thinking. But I think what we leave at, you know, at the door is the fact that every single person in the organization has unique contributions to make. There are things that make them unique. And in the business world, oftentimes there's guidelines around what's acceptable behavior, at least in people's minds, right, and, and in the type of culture that's fostered. So people leave their personal interests at the door when they come to work on Monday morning, or they leave their, um, some of their personality at the door. For example, mm-hmm. um, I, knew, I, I know a man who likes to garden, but he was afraid to partake in a community event through work for fear of being looked down upon by his male colleagues, that that just wasn't, you know, that wasn't cool, that wasn't something that, um, you know, that, that a man should be doing. Um, and then a woman who attends a PTA meetings, and she speaks out consistently at these meetings. But in the boardroom, she will say nothing for fear of being judged, you know, as too aggressive or outspoken. Mm -hmm. If these people could bring their whole selves to work and everything about them and apply it to their organization, to their role, to their colleagues, it becomes a much more robust and a much more fun place to be. They're fulfilled, they're present, engaged, creative, productive, and the people around them feel it as well. Thank you very much. I I have two options here. We've got 10 minutes left till the end of the show, and I want to make sure we get some real predictions at the end. I can go around the table and get everybody's take very quickly on the diversity topic. Let's do that. And then I have one one really whopper statement here from Sherry Ann Meyer that I'm going to ask her to comment on before we go to predictions. So let's circle around. Sherry Ann, what are your thoughts on the very interesting perspective Mary Poppins shared on diversity in the workplace? Agree, disagree? I think that's one of the problems Mary was talking about. One of the problems we don't have diversity in the workplace is because people don't bring their whole selves to work. 
Um, or any other side of that is that we work with many different cultures today, and we don't understand that some cultures need to be drawn out a little bit more or let them know that it's safe for them to share their whole selves. Um, I worked with a manager once who did something very simple, that, and, and it was the, the most fun job I ever had, actually, because people knew each other. All he did was when we had regular staff meetings, one of the things he did was go around the table and everyone told something for the good of the group. And it was anything. It was what you were going to do that weekend, what your kids were up to, what you were up to, just one little thing. And that one little thing helped enormously in building a team. Interesting. Let me circle back to Molly. Thoughts? I think this idea of authenticity Mm -hmm. and and openness is so critical. You know, it's how do we create an environment where people feel safe to bring their whole self to work? And, you know, how do we give people the skills to have conversations about ideas um, as opposed to personalities? You know, when you can have an open environment where people are unafraid to bring their ideas because they know it's not going to be come personal in terms of, you know, I don't like you, but, you know, let's talk about this idea. Uh, I think there's real things that we can do as an organization to give people some of those skills to, um, you know, it's just like the uh, the exercise that Sherry just mentioned, um, you know, tools to help people encourage that authenticity and that openness in, in the work environment. Thank you. Sharon Newton, thoughts on this before I move on quickly? Go ahead. Sure, sure. Yeah, I agree with everyone that this is going to be a challenge for the workplace. You know, 2016 is the year that the post-millennial generation is going to be entering the workforce for the first time as interns, uh, maybe at their first job. And from everything I've been reading and from what I've been experiencing, these kids are the ones who've grown up in a much more diverse, open society than some of us who might be of a different generation have. So there's going to be an expectation there. You know, and if, if companies aren't meeting that challenge, that's, that's going to impact their ability to attract the very best from that, that generation. Well put. Thank you very much. Sherry Ann Meyer, I want to bring something up here. I think this is very, very important comment. You say HR will succeed when it ceases to be a department within an organization and instead becomes a center of workforce excellence. And Sherry thinks that will be happening very soon. And one example she gives is we have engineers, but we don't think of them as part of the engineering department. Sherry Ann, can you break this down for me, please? Quickly, very quickly. Sure, I'll try. Um, I don't think that we should be limited by our education or our certifications or our profession titles. And I think in HR in particular, we tend to get labeled. Um, well, nobody wants to be called into HR. I guess you don't want to be called into the principal's office or HR. Um, but if you think about it, this is a career path with a special skill set that has value in every single aspect of a business. And it shouldn't be segregated. It should be deeply intertwined within every aspect of the business. Now, some companies have tried this by and putting their HR business partners literally sitting within the business and trying to be a partner. And that that's part of it, but you still need that centralized specialty of center of excellence, too. Um, and I think what HR is really missing today is that opportunity to be the person who can recommend how resources, whether they're physically people or robots, as we talked about a few weeks ago, or contingent mm-hmm. labor, whatever they are, how all those resources can lend themselves to the bottom line. If people are our most important assets, and they're certainly a big chunk of our expenses, we need to be looking at them as resources and part of the P&L. Thank you. Let's quickly go around the table, just one or two sentences each on what Sherry Ann just shared. Molly Lombardi, go ahead. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think what could be cooler than the position HR people are in, which is to provide this great information about your resources and the talents within your organization. So, um, you know, keep on keep on fighting the fight. <laughs> I love that. Sharon Newton, thoughts? You know, I, I tend to agree as well. You know, I've seen a lot of great HR practitioners that come from all different backgrounds, walks of life. Um, my mentor, actually, when I first started working in consulting, didn't have a degree, um, but she was one of the best consultants I ever worked with, and she's still out there in the HR industry making things happen. Wow. Nice to know. Mary Poppin, thoughts, please? Yeah, I love it. I think the way that we all start to position it, you know, can have an impact, and then when individuals introduce themselves, you know, they'll hear others introducing themselves differently, um, and we can sort of start a grassroots movement that way. I love it. I l- I love it, too, and I love it so much that I'm going to push us into the crystal ball round, and it's going to be a real lightning round today because we have about four minutes left till the end of the show. That's not even enough to give you each a minute because I have to close. So let's start with Molly Lombardi. Molly, I'm going to ask you for your top two predictions for HR in 2016. Keep it real short. I'll give you 45 seconds. Go ahead. Sure. Well, I'll say two things. You know, change management and communication. It's all going to be about how we can use technology to take down those barriers and enable change to become a differentiator. For a business. Wow. Wow, that was quick. You can add two more sentences. <laughs> Anything else you want to say? <laughs> you didn't even use your 45 seconds. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sharon Newton at Hyprecision. Sharon, what are your predictions, please? My predictions really are that extended workforce or the gig economy for organizations really to learn how to have to have learned how to manage that extended workforce well so that they can continue to get the folks that they need to support them from a project perspective. And, you know, employees, workers are going to really continue to value their own time, their own development opportunities. So I really see that as something that's going to continue to grow. Um, Just that opportunity for better work-life balance, um, to take parental leave when you need it, not to have to worry so much about legislation, which is something we really didn't talk about. Um, And and hopefully we'll see some some more protection coming for those types of workers as well, kind of like what we're seeing, you know, going on with the Uber conversation right now. Thank you very much, Sharon. Nice to have you back on the show again. And let's turn to Mary Poppin at SAP Success Factors. What do you see in the crystal ball, Mary? So, you know, we're, we're in this digital world where the disruptors are disrupting the disruptors. And over time, technology is going to become even smarter. So the processes and the tactical compliance and required steps, pieces that HR tackles today will be freed up. And HR will come to the table with strategic and um, business strategy recommendations. And they will have a seat at the table with predictive analytics. Thank That's you very much. Prediction. Sherry Ann Meyer, what do you predict? I can give you about 45 seconds, 30 seconds, and I have a quick question for you <laughs> at the end. Go ahead, Sherry Ann. I see a new role, a new career path for HR business analysts. Now, this probably is a job out there already that some people are holding, but I think it's going to be a certification. I think that HR increasingly needs to have someone who understands how to uh, select technology, manage vendors, deploy a project, uh, and manage the change and release around that ongoing. Um, So I see that as something that's coming in the very, very near future. Thank you very much. Sherry Ann, I have just a couple seconds left, and I want to give them to you. We have done 13 episodes of Game Changing HR Leaders. We started on September 9th. Interestingly enough, we're bookending it and ending on December 9th. How about that? Not that it matters, but that's interesting. So my question to you is any quick thoughts for our listeners? I know, I know you're, you're hoping to come back for Season 2, but any quick thoughts on, on if you've met your goals of having wonderful people like our panelists today talk about really timely and interesting topics related to HR leadership. Sherry Ann, just wrap up for me real fast. 
I really think our listeners would have to measure how well we did this season. However, what I will say personally is that I have, through doing this and engaging guests on the show, I have met some wonderful people and heard some very fascinating thoughts from people that I, I knew and didn't know in the past. And for me, it has been an educational journey and an inspiring journey to what the future should hold um, for us at ASUG as we lead the HR community forward, um, and I hope for HR leaders everywhere. Thank you very much. I want to say a special shout-out to our guests today, Molly Lombardi, Sharon Newton, Mary Pop, and Sherry Ann Meyer. It's been a pleasure. Ladies, I wish you happy holidays, happy, healthy, wonderful, productive, and I can get in a message for peace in the world. Well, we can only hope, can't we? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you to Sherry Ann Meyer and ASUG. Shout-out to Jeff Scott and a shout-out to Justin at the Business Channel team, our engineer extraordinaire who gets us on the air and keeps us on the air and puts up with all of our crazy stuff here on Game Changers Radio. We always push the envelope. Here's my call to action as we end this season on Game Changing HR Leaders. You know what it is. Fasten your seatbelt, put a little bit of holiday cheer on it, regardless of what you're celebrating, and what are you waiting for? Don't drink and drive. Be safe, but go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. The best-run businesses run SAP and run simple. Tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and Twitter handle R-E-C-H-A-R-G-E-H-R. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.